0: Welcome to the Millionaire Secrets Podcast, where the most successful people in the world share their secrets to help you create the awesome life you desire. Welcome to another episode of Millionaire Secrets. This is Jeff Lerner, your host. Always thrilled to get to be here and have these amazing conversations and get to to call it work when it just feels like hanging out. So um, today, we are joined by a young entrepreneur. I'm 41. He's younger than me. Corrado Arangio is a real estate broker. He's an entrepreneur in um, a, a pretty big social media content creator based out of Toronto. and actually has a pretty incredible parallel story to me. So I'm really, really excited to dig into this because um, there's so much value to be extracted from, from his story. And we're just glad that he's on Millionaire Secrets. Welcome, Corrado. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Jeff. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, this is, this is great. So, I mean, I, I, I'll just say it right up front. So, you know, I've been, since 2008, I've been telling the world a story of losing almost half a million dollars on two franchise restaurants. And yes. I, I take a lot of lessons from that, lessons about, you know, just due diligence, lessons about, you know, not, not being overly trusting Lessons about not being undercapitalized and trying to do, you know, relative to what type of business you're doing. Uh, lessons about people management and having employees and, I, and whatever. A lot of lessons. And uh, it sounds like you have a strikingly similar experience right down all the way to the type of, of food that you were selling in your business. So, so can you share that, that uh, little bit of your life with us?
1: Yeah. So I was 18 years old. Um, and I decided to, I wanted to start my own business. So prior to that, my dream was as a little boy is to play professional soccer. Um, I actually made it in in Europe. I made it in Italy. I got homesick. um, wanted to come back to Toronto and start my own business. I ran a promotion company, a nightclub promotion company. Um, along with that, my parents would always say, you know, nightclub business is dangerous. You got to do something else and eventually get out of it. So I took some of their advice and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to get into this PETA franchise. So it was called extreme PETA. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, I, I started the whole process at the age of 18 years old. Um, we opened up the the location and yeah, I pretty much lost $300,000, um, was the best lesson that ever happened to me. Uh, you know, I basically, I, I, the thing about it was I would have never learned what I learned. Going through that experience in school, right? Um, th- like what I what I learned from that from the from that from losing all that money was that, you know, you have to do your proper due diligence, right? And I didn't do that. I just I, I wanted to set up my own business, uh, and I didn't do my d- proper due diligence. I did go to a lawyer. The lawyer said to me, "Hey, I don't think you should open up this franchise." You know, he told me, and I didn't listen to him. I'm like, "No, I got to do it. I got to do it." So,
0: so yeah, it was a good experience for me. That's so funny, yeah. So, yeah, uh, you know, I had you had Extreme PETA, which is a Canadian yeah. company, right? <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah. So I, I had two locations of the PETA Pit, which is <laughs> also a Canadian company, although they expanded into the United States. The US. Yes, yes. And so I actually invested with the U.S. Uh, you know, the company that I guess had the U.S. rights or whatever. But um, it's just crazy, uh, you know, a Canadian PETA, t- two Canadian PETA horror stories. Um, I opened, yeah. two, I opened two stores. I was 10 years older than you. I was 20, 27, 28. Okay. Um, but, I, you know, you had spent some time as a professional soccer player. I had spent some time as a professional piano player. We both decided we want to go into business. We both yeah. ignored the advice of people that were probably much more informed than us. In your case, it was an attorney. In my case, it was a relative yeah. who was a commercial real estate broker who just came to me one day and said, you know, Jeff, these businesses, like, there is there is just a giant uh, world of of catastrophes and casualties from these brick and mortar quick serve restaurant franchises yeah. yes um, and you know i ignored him and same thing man it's just it's just crazy and and but i've never met someone that had that such a similar experience and that would say as you said and maybe I'll, i shouldn't put words in your mouth but like hmm. it was it was one of the best things that ever happened to you is what yeah. you said to me, right Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Like I learned so much from that business
1: that I was able to make my money back a year later. Right. And there's a lot of things that I learned, like, you know, how to do proper accounting and how to actually, so the way I made my money was in the entertainment business right after. So I took it a lot more serious. Um, I had like one party a year that, that would do over 5,000 people. Um, and yeah, that I was able to now treat the entertainment, like the promotion business as an actual business. And yeah. And I, I made the money back that I lost, but I did work extremely hard and, and uh, you know, that's, that's what helped me.
0: Well, I like to think my audience uh, is not, you know, there's a, there's a certain category of person out there that sees the sees the, you know, the magazines and reads the articles about mm-hmm. the Silicon Valley billionaires. And they think, oh, entrepreneurship has this, you know, sort of unrealistic ratio of, of reward to effort, right? Like WhatsApp yes. had 16 employees and they sold for, or they had 60 employees and sold for $16 billion. You know, whatever. Like th- those things, yes. they're out there, but that's not it. I, I think my audience is sophisticated enough to know that it is really, really hard work. But it's interesting. You know, for me, I went from the franchise into digital marketing. For you, you Mm -hmm. went from the franchise into the entertainment business. But I really do see some parallels. You know, if you're, if you look at the brick and mortar, really brick and mortar business in general, but specifically restaurants and quick serve restaurants, you have um, a lot of fundamental challenges. First of all, it's, you have a really high capital investment to get it in place, to get it set up. Mm-hmm. You have essentially no no intrinsic value in the asset itself. You no, know, you I'm sure don't. you experience this too. When you when you get upside down and you can't pay your bills, used restaurant equipment sells for pennies on the dollar. Yes. Um, there's no value. I mean, food goes bad in a week. You can't liquidate your food supply. Yeah. The people, there's no you haven't built the kind of relationships that have really high quality value that could translate over to another business, maybe with a manager or something. Yeah, um, yeah. So you kind of have all this investment and very little security. But then on the entertainment business, you know, that's a, that's a, mar- that's a high margin business with a low fixed cost. Right? I mean, yes. I don't want to speak for you, but right. So you rolled yeah. into something where you could oh, make right. a lot more money and put a lot less at risk. Exactly. Like the franchise, I had to buy everything from, you know,
1: their, their summit was the company at the buy and Gordon food services and directly from Pepsi. When I was able to go to the supermarket and buy it at a, at a lower price point. Yeah. Right. So I guess they make money on every single angle. Um, the, what they actually did was head office. Cause I had a, a high school across the street. Right. So head office set up a PETA day directly with the school where I was getting majority of my business from the students. So they set up a PETA day every Tuesday and the students thought that I ran it for the, for, for extreme PETA. Meanwhile, wow. it was head office making PETAs and sending them to the school and the school was selling them to the students. So a student actually told me this was happening and I'm like, you know what? No wonder I'm losing all this money because you know, the franchise is just, just wanted to basically screw over all the franchisees, hmm. you know, and, and yeah, it was, it was extremely tough for me. Um, but you know, it's uh, paid I'm, off.
0: I'm curious, you know, I, this happened to me, my, my actually, I guess I technically defaulted on my banknotes in January of 2009. But really yeah. the second half of 2008 is when the wheels were coming off the wagon for me. And I have, this might be the first time I've ever publicly just said it was the Pita Pit. Like I've always yeah. been very, very guarded about, yeah. about the particulars of that experience. Because mm-hmm. uh, frankly, just I'm like I don't want to get sued, but I'm you clearly have a lot more comfort just going. I mean, and now I'm right there with you. I'm kind of following your lead. Yeah. Like, listen, man, it's I, I just want under the bridge. Like, what are they going to do?
1: Yeah, exactly. I want people to know. Yeah. Um, so you know, hopefully, it can help some a person. You know, and that would really make me feel good because at the time, you know, it was a struggle. Um, I tried selling the business. Now, in the franchise agreement, it said that any purchaser would have to be approved by head office. Right, right. So I tried selling it so I didn't have to go bankrupt. Okay. Um, they, all the buyers, all the potential buyers had a meeting with the owners of the franchise and they said, no, don't buy this business. This is because I actually, I sent people, I, I, I'm like, you know what, just go to head office, say you want to buy my, my location. And they were telling them to go to buy different locations because my location wasn't doing good. So part of the agreement was, I wasn't able to just hand the business over to somebody else. They had to approve them. So what they did is they actually took my business, I found out, and resold it for like $180,000 when I had to walk out and go pers- go bankrupt, Right, which affected my credit for seven years. Um, yeah. Man, but, it's, it's
0: yeah. crazy, all the all the parent, like I literally, I lived everything you're describing. I, it's just, yeah. it's crazy to me. Um, how much, yeah, I mean, again, how valuable it is. But, uh, you, you know, I think people need to be really, really careful. And I, you know, when we publish this episode, mm-hmm. I, I'm going to tell the team, like, make sure that somehow in the title of the episode is something about like a cautionary tale about franchising. Um, exactly. You know, for whatever yeah. else we decide to, to, whatever other angle we take, because I think this is something that is so important. Franchising, is and I don't want to paint all franchisers with the same brush, right? Yeah, that exactly. Would, that would be yeah. irresponsible. But yeah. generally speaking, yeah. franchising is put out to the market as a kind of a, a better than average way to start a business because you have pre vetted processes, you have an established brand, you have, yes. you know, theoretically more security as a business owner. But my experience was the complete opposite. They took, yeah. I don't remember, if it was eight or nine percent off the top. So I could be losing $0.10 cents on every dollar. They're still they making $0.09 cents on They're every dollar. They're still taking dollar. the money. Yeah. 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 They they forced me to buy, you know, after, again, not talking about not doing due diligence. Years later, I went back and researched the value of the equipment that they sold me, and my build-out cost, you know, from, from ground to finished store was roughly $300,000 per location. See? Yep. Yeah.
1: Yep. Yeah.
0: And I, I ended up figuring <laughs> out between the equipment and the contracting, and you know, if I wasn't having to go through their, you know, vertically integrated supply chain, I probably yes. built yes. it for less than one hundred and fifty. Yeah, that makes so a lot you're of on, sense. so so you and me we're on the hook. I mean, I assume you got a bank loan.
1: Yeah. So the way I did it, I actually went to my parents. Mm. I I borrowed money. Um, I did like, they didn't give it to me. I had to pay it back. Cause it was a line of credit on their house. Right. Originally I was supposed to get an SBL. Okay. Loan. And that didn't get approved after okay. I gave a deposit to, to the head, to the franchise. I gave them a deposit cause they require, they required a deposit at the time right. of like 80 grand, gave them the money. And then after the SBL loan didn't get approved, um, it got declined. So I had to borrow money from my parents in order for me to set this up but I had money from my other business. So I was lucky because during this whole process, I had my other, my entertainment business running right. as well.
0: So, so that I was, was a, the, the SBL. I assume that's the Canadian equivalent of the SBA here. Yes. Yes. The yeah. small, small business administration, but in my loan, uh, my yeah. loans were small business administration loans as, as, or I was able to get them. Um, yeah. Which probably just means the U S was more reckless than Canada because I was a 27 year old, Jazz piano player with no business experience, no successful business experience. Yeah, they shouldn't have given me those loans. But um, so anyway, you're on the hook, and and to be clear, that that deposit you put down with a franchisor just enabled in order to get approved, and then to be able to go apply for the loan, that's a non-refundable deposit, right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah, Yeah, mine was. So I was on the hook,
1: and my my father's like, no, 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 you got to do it. You already gave the deposit.
0: Yeah, that's kind of how they get you too oh yeah my mine was 40 grand for the first store and 30 grand for the second store yeah. and then i had a i had the rights to open eight more stores and they were going to be $20,000 deposits apiece as they unfolded yeah. and yeah I, there was nothing i could do to get them back that was literally just to get permission to go try to do it exactly exactly yeah. Uh, man i i think uh, we're in the wrong business man we should, we should be <laughs> we should be franchisers clearly that's where all the money is yeah yeah <laughs> Well, I think I, think I would have done okay if I didn't have a franchise and I would have called in like yeah. Corrado Pitas or something. like. Totally. Totally. Yeah. yeah I would have been- Think about point. it. I mean, my. in fact, I can give some basic numbers. If I had been able to build the store, let's assume I could have gotten half the size of a bank loan because, I mean, they mark up everything. They mark up exactly. the, the contractors. They mark the up drinks. the electricians. They mark up the, yeah, the restaurant equipment. Think. They mark up the- I mean, I remember paying something like- for like menu boards. Yeah. Like crap that you could have printed for like maybe two grand. Yep. And they mark up everything. So let's assume we could have done it ourselves with half the money in terms of the debt. Mm -hmm. Well, I know that when I went under my break even, the the number of pitas that I had, or the the, the dollar amount of, of sales that I had to make between the two stores was about 40 grand a month. Okay. And I was doing a little over 40 before the recession hit. And then the recession hit and we dropped down to like under 30. Yeah. Yeah. And I, so I was just toast. But if I had only had to borrow half the money, I still would have had the same labor cost. I probably would have had a break even closer to between 25 and 30. Yeah. I probably could have survived the recession. But yeah. because the franchiser made it so expensive just to get started they actually made it impossible to succeed in anything but a booming economy. Yeah. It, you know, and you got to wonder, I mean, maybe you've done some more research on this than me, but how much is that breakage considered part of the business model where they're going to have somebody put down a fee, then they're going to have somebody put, pay in all the markups on all the, the build out, then they're going to have somebody generate royalties, and they know full well that that person might go out of business, and then they're just going to retake the business, keep all the money they made along the way, and flip it to the next sucker and maybe tell them they're getting there. You're getting a deal because we're selling it to you for half of what the last guy paid. Yeah. They've already it, made their money. All, now they're going to make it again.
1: It's all a scam. It's really is. And you know, it's sad because one of the reasons why it bothered me a lot was not the fact that I lost $300,000 is that there was other people that had other franchises, other extreme pitas that wanted to buy mine. And you know, I, And I was asking them, I'm like, Hey, like, you know, like you guys, these guys just came from India. Okay. They're new immigrants. They came from India. They wanted to basically buy themselves um, a job. Like, you know what I mean? So this is what they did. They opened up this franchise. He told me that they got a loan from the, from the owners of the franchise and and they're not making money. They wanted to take over my location. I was willing to like, just give, and they said, just take it, just take it over. And the, the owner is like, no, we're not doing it. You're not, you're not allowed. Right. Yeah. So they wanted to take over my business and then resell it for, you know, they had these guys that would, that would come in to say, you know what, we're, let's make your business better. And we're going to try to sell it. They just get all your information and then they do it themselves. Right. So- So yeah, well, I mean, so if you guys are watching and you're interested (laughs) in uh, opening up a franchise, just be careful. Get a good lawyer to review everything, um, and do your proper diligence, you know, before you get into a franchise.
0: Yeah, and uh, amen. That that's my, you know, I've been preaching that now for over a decade. And the other thing I'll say is, I mean, you had an extreme PETA. I had a PETA pit. There are very few franchises that have a big enough name that the name and the concept itself gives you any sort of assurance of success. Yes. Yeah. If it's a McDonald's, yeah, that counts for something. Maybe yeah. a, may, probably a Wendy's. Like like, there's yeah. McDonald's, there's Taco Bell, there's a there's Subway. A Subway. Yeah. But as soon as you get below that tier, the fact mm-hmm. that it's a franchise and they're charging you a person, you know, of, of the royalties, I was, I think it was a 9% royalty and it was like, yeah, six percent was an operating royalty. Two percent was a national advertising royalty, and one percent was yeah. a local advertising royalty. So they were supposed to take three percent and invest it back into advertising, two thirds at a national level and one third at a local level to help me grow my brand locally. I never saw any of that. I mean, I've never seen Peter Pitt run a TV commercial. I never saw yeah. him run a run a newspaper ad. I never heard him on the radio. And I certainly know they didn't do squat in my local area. Yeah, and. The idea that I bought into something that had any pre-existing equity in the market—you know—you could walk down a street and ask twenty people if they've heard of a pita pit or an extreme pita, for that matter. I don't know, maybe five would go. Maybe oh, five out of twenty. Yeah. I think exactly. I've seen that around. Oh, have you ever eaten there? No. I mean, what the hell did we pay for? Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> like I said, it's it, it's basically uh, it's a scam. It's a scam, I think. Right. So and that's why I wanted to share the story you know just to help people before they get
0: into it and yeah.
1: it actually is one of my best performing videos on my YouTube channel that I that I
0: posted really so oh I, yeah. it sounds like I need to make a similar video that that's yeah, that's you, should. yeah. you should yeah and yeah. here's the thing it's like it's like a public service announcement like we it actually helps people that it gives them a perspective you know because mm-hmm. people go to these franchise trade shows or they go to business brokers yeah. or they go to these these environments that have a strongly vested interest in selling them on the idea of franchising. And, yes. and if I, what I remember too, and tell me if you experience this, is when, you get, when they give you that uniform uh, franchise offering circular, that, or that's what they call it in the U.S. It's the UFOC yeah. document. Yeah, are yeah. prohibited in that document from disclosing financial informa- specific financial information about your business to anyone else. Yes. So Yeah, we have I, to do the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, so when I would go to a, another Peter Pit franchisee and be like, can you tell me how, how this is doing? They wouldn't, they couldn't tell me. Mm-hmm. Or yeah, they're losing the franchise rights. Exactly. Exactly,
1: yeah. Yeah, I know. It's it's a corrupt business. And, uh, you know, I, I wish I had somebody that I would have been able to, like, reach out to. Yeah. Because um, back then, you know, social media wasn't that big. YouTube probably... Uh, I think YouTube started in 2006 or something. I opened up that location in 2008. Yeah. So social media wasn't big. I There wasn't a lot of people putting out content about this type of stuff. So, yeah, I had to go to lawyers.
0: In fact, I'm going to float a, a, I don't know if I'll ever have time to do this, so I'll float the idea out for you or anyone listening that mm-hmm. wants to try it, is you could basically take the the basic plot points of our story. And because most, fran- I mean, the, the franchise structure is, is the same from, from company to company. You could take the plot points of our story and go make a video called, you know, should I buy a McDonald's? And you say, hi, my name is Jeff Lerner. Uh, I, you know, I didn't own a McDonald's, but I did own a brick and mortar uh, quick serve restaurant franchise. Let me tell you the story. And then take them through the details and be like, these are the things you need to watch out for. These are the gotchas. This is the stuff that, you know, they don't put in the, dis- it's not in the fine print and blah, blah, blah. And then you can make that same video and say, should I buy a Burger King? And then should I buy yeah. a Wendy's? And it's literally the same video. You're just basically swapping out the skin on the video. You or me, we could probably have 20 top performing YouTube videos or blog posts just yeah. built off of our story by ranking on, of course, the, those companies would probably try to come sue us, but I don't, I don't know if they could. It's just an opinion.
1: Yeah. So when I made the video, I just, I didn't mention the name. Yeah. Um, I put it in the comment sections in the post. People are like, hey, what franchise was this? But people really appreciate it. I remember a comment. Somebody wrote that, you know, I've never liked the video on YouTube. This is my first time. And uh, thank you for sharing your story. Huh. You know, it was great. Cool. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's cool. And actually, if anybody's listening to this, probably don't take that idea as far as putting the actual company names in. That's probably a bad idea. <laughs> but, um, but you could still, no, nah, whatever. Repurpose the idea. So, so okay. Let's. We've spent enough time on that. I'm, I'm sort of like geeking out on our on our both of our stories of catastrophe, and, and I will I will sort yeah. of like wrap that up by saying, you know, myself, just like yeah. you said, it really was the best thing that ever happened to me. Because yes, it was. Yeah. Sometimes you're not going to get the lesson until the lesson punches you in the face. You need to get
1: a beating sometimes. Yeah, it's that's just how it is. Part of life, right?
0: Yeah, exactly. So, so, yeah. Okay. So let's fast forward then now. Uh, you mm-hmm. go, you're in the entertainment business. You're able to grow that business. You get a lot more, um, you know, effective, let's say, and, and, and mature as a business operator. You're able to pay mm-hmm. off the debt. Congratulations on that, by the way. Um, but obviously, Thank you've me. gone from there into a lot of other things. I know you've done over 100 real estate deals. Um, mm-hmm. maybe, maybe talk a little bit more about kind of where that journey has led you since then yeah so um it all started i guess from the from the whole soccer meeting meeting people
1: from that and playing with different teams Mm -hmm. um by playing in italy i got to you know meet a lot of people here in toronto because they're like oh this guy made it in in europe um it was a big deal because in canada not a lot of people play soccer they play hockey Mm -hmm. um basketball and so soccer is not really a big sport the fields
0: are all frozen all the time exactly because of the weather yeah (laughs)
1: So, um, from that, I guess the whole marketing thing with the nightclub events, um, I was able to basically bring a lot of people to these nightclubs that were, were not that popular. So I focused on that and I wanted people to have a really good time. And I never used to, so right after the whole extreme PETA thing, I wouldn't drink any alcohol. I wouldn't party. I treated it like a business. I would stand outside the nightclub to make sure that I got every single person in. Yeah. And anybody that was on my guest list, I made sure that I took care of them. If it was their birthday, you know, they, they a lot of them at that time would turn 19. Cause here the legal age is 19 to drink alcohol. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd make sure that they'd all got in. If they had a group, like I used to even book buses for them, like bus loads of people would come to my events. And I used to make sure that, they had no problems at the front with the security and, you know, they would tell their friends, this is the guy you got to go through. You got to go through him. Yeah. Um, so I, I was able to run like maybe three to five events a week. So and how does the, sorry, sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. Yeah. I'm, I'm interested sorry, sorry. in the business, but keep going. Yeah. And then as I was doing that um, I was noticing that a lot of, a lot of the club owners were selling the clubs um, or the landlords with would sell the the venues and because builders were buying them and I saw like from having like 30 nightclubs in a small vicinity the entertainment district we called it which was at Richmond and Peter in one year I'd say about 15 shut down in one year we used to have people from all around the world come to Toronto just to party because it was an it was awesome at that time you used to go club hopping from club to club and I'm like, I gotta, I see this business is dying down here. Unless I move to the U.S., unless I move to like Vegas or something, I gotta, I gotta get into something else. Mm-hmm. And I built a massive database. Um, so I'm like, I'm gonna get into real estate now. If these these builders are buying these properties, I could just take these clients that you know were celebrating their birthdays with me because there's some. St- kind of like trust that people have with birthdays. Like, you know, when you take care of their, their birthday party with bottle service, limo service entry and all that, you know, they trust you, right. Especially if you get a big group of people in and right away, I started selling volume for builders and new developments here in Toronto. So what I mean by that is um, like condo buildings, like say a tower of like 500, 500 units, I was able to sell like 50 units in a building. From the nightclub business and the promotion
0: business, so, so yeah. So sorry, can I? I want to back up to the nightclub business because I've always yeah. been interested in this business. You know, when I was a professional musician, yeah. Every now and then I would get hired to play in, you know, like a electronic music band. I'd be on keyboards or something. Mm-hmm. We'd be in these clubs. I'd I kind of got a taste of that uh, that world. And I will say the 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 economic transition scenario you described is exactly what I observed in Houston because I think they. They tend to put these nightclubs in basically like the early stage of gentrification Mm
1: -hmm. of,
0: of industrial or commercial areas. So you've got an area that's historically been warehouses, you know, has spaces that are big enough to host these parties. And now all of a sudden it becomes a little bit cooler and a little bit safer and they're starting to build some townhomes. And so now it becomes a spot that people would be attracted to go party at because it's, you know, it's a little night. It's not like a total slum, like maybe it was five years ago. Yes, Only yes. now that that's starting, that gentrification is, is happening, the clock is ticking and eventually the land's going to be worth more as something other than a nightclub. So I've seen yes. that cycle. I saw that same cycle happen in Houston, but I, I would see guys and I lived in New York for a time too. And I saw the same thing. And I, in fact, when I lived in New York, there were people I knew. and They were all like they all they were all Russians too. It was like somehow the Russians okay. had it on lockdown in New York, and they would they would bust people in from New Jersey, yes, to these uh, and cross the river to these New York nightclubs, uh, you know these fancy Manhattan nightclubs. And I never really understood like is the business model that the club pays you a percentage of what the people that you bring in spend? Like, because I mean you paid off three hundred thousand dollars in a year. Clearly, there's a lot of yeah, money. So- It's a simple
1: business. Um, The club business was every person you brought, they would pay you anywhere from two bucks a head to $20 a head. It really depended which venue and, um, you know, the deal that you have with, with the, uh, with, with the owner of the, of the club. Right. So Scooter Braun, actually uh, Justin Bieber's uh, manager, actually had similar uh, story as mine with the whole promoting thing. Um, but yeah, they would pay us basically on per person. Some clubs would give me the door. Uh, so I was in charge of booking the DJ, um, having all the staff and all that stuff. And they would say, okay, you take the door, whatever you make after you pay your expenses is is basically yours. Right. Uh, But to get that and to get that trust from the club owners took uh, many years to build because they don't just give the door to just a random person.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Unless they're paying a big fee for the venue. Right. Right. So So, I mean, that sounds to me like a real hustle business. So, like you've got to go get a thousand people to to decide what they're gonna do on a Saturday night and come to the place you want them to come. Like, what's the I mean, what's the process for that? You can't just run around a shopping mall talking to every cute girl you see and then assume that because they're cute, they'll be three guys that want to come with them. Yeah. Hey, sorry for the interruption. I just wanted to let you know you can get a free copy of my book, The Millionaire Shortcut which shows you the fastest way to become a millionaire in the new economy. And there's a special link just for this episode in the description. So thanks for tuning in and I hope you enjoy the rest of the episode.
1: So when Facebook first started getting big back in 2006, around that yeah. time, yeah, yeah. Um, what I was doing, I was taking pictures of people at the, at the events and I'm like, I'd give them a card. So they'd have to go, they'd have to, go to my website to sign up to see their picture I'd get to, I collect their email Mm. and I was able to get thousands of, of, uh, emails per month because people would want to go check out their email or their picture. So they had to give me their email address. So I collected a massive email database. So that was one part of it. Another one was going to the schools, giving flyers and stuff. And the most important was the relationship that you, that I built with all these people coming to the, to the events they knew I was the guy to get them in and they would, they like, I wasn't the promoter inside partying. Right, I was the guy making sure that everybody got in and there was no issues at the front. Um, because a lot of people didn't didn't like going to certain clubs because how they were treating at at the front by, by Mm -hmm. the security. So the club owners trusted me and they're like, no, like Corrado is the head promoter um, let him do whatever he has to do to pack this place again. And I didn't go to the clubs that were already busy. Like I was going to the clubs that were like a hole in the wall and, and I would, they were massive venues that I was able to bring, you know, to bring people. And they used to want to come there and just have a good time.
0: So, you know, I think one of the, one of the takeaways from what you just said is that, you know, forgive the, the, the implication, but you weren't getting high on your own supply. Like, you exactly. hear uh, drug dealers, yeah. they're like, yeah. they're like yeah. shooting their own drugs. And in your case, you're promoting an event, but you're not actually participating in the event in like an indulgent way. And yep. I think for a lot of, you know, that may be a little different in the nightclub business, but for a lot of business owners, there's a real temptation to try to prematurely enjoy the fruits mm-hmm. or, or to pull the value out of the business for your own use instead of staying lean, staying disciplined, staying hungry, and just focusing on the needs of the business rather than feeding yourself. But what taught me that
1: was the extreme PETA. Yes. And losing the money. That's what taught me that. Because prior to that, I was the guy that was partying inside, getting bottle service, and I didn't treat it like a business. So that's how I was able to create that monster and have thousands of people come to these events on a weekend, every, every weekend. So I worked at the biggest venues. And again, the sky is the limit when you're getting paid for every person you could, you know, the club owners like bring up however many people you want to bring. Right. So I was able to bring thousands, which I was lucky. And, you know, I don't even remember a weekend that I didn't work growing up, like every weekend that was for me, that was my job. Like I didn't miss a weekend.
0: Huh? So, so how—and then from there, uh, you started moving into real estate because you still had the list. You still had the relationships. Yep. Now these now these clubs are going away, and they're throwing up condos instead, and you're able to say, hey, I'm Corrado. Remember, you know, I'm the guy. I got a great deal for yeah. you.
1: That was a that was tough—so getting into the real estate business was tough for me. In the beginning, I wanted to give up because um, it was just— it's actually—there was more politics in that than the club business, <laughs> And, you know, I remember uh, my first brokerage, that I went to the guy, the guy's like, I'm going to give you leads. I'm going to help you didn't do anything. I had to go to another guy, he said the same thing, didn't do anything. So I'm like, you know what, I have to try and do this myself. I can't rely on anybody. So then I went to a builder and I'm like, I wanted to do pre-construction because it was very similar to the, to the nightclub promotion business, right? It's very similar. Um, Resale you have, there's more emotions involved and I just... I had a massive database. So I'm like, I need to take advantage of the people that I know and my network. Right. So I went to a builder and I'm like, Hey, how do I help you sell your building? This guy started laughing. He's like, what do you mean? I'm like, listen, I, I, I mentioned the 50 units that I sold. Right. So how do I get access? Cause the thing about Toronto is that it's not like the U S um, um, the land here in order to get a, a building like approved by the city to build. It takes years, um, huh. for that to happen. We don't have enough supply for the demand. So whenever there's a new pre-construction project, normally it sells like in a weekend. Hmm. So by us getting that access is it's really hard. Like the builders don't give access to everybody. So, um, he's like, Hey, you need to bring me like 50 people, 50 deals, get me 50 right. deals. and I'll get, and he was just throwing a number and I did it. Like I literally sold him 50 units. So after that, it went from that guy doing that, like that builder telling other people. And then that's that's how I got into the pre-construction. Um,
0: yeah. And, and yeah, guys, that makes sense. I mean, pre-construction, it gives you enough supply that you can take advantage of the size of your list. That you're having a list of 50,000 people is only so yeah. useful if you only have one property to sell. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: So,
0: so let me ask you a question. I'm curious if real estate in Canada is... Uh, residential real estate, at least, is, mm-hmm. is similar to how it is in the United States. I had a guy on uh, named Rob Lord, who's actually my one of my best. Well, he's probably my my very best friend in the world that I went to high mm-hmm. school with. I had him on the show. He's a he's a residential real estate uh, team lead in Dallas, who's got one of the fastest growing r- real estate teams in the country. Mm-hmm. And he was kind of telling me like his strategy for attracting agents is basically to expose the the BS on the residential real estate industry and, and the typical broker uh, broker agent model where they get, they get people in. Supposedly, they supply them with leads. But really, they're just having these agents like churn and burn through, you know, 100, 150 calls a day. And, you know, the, that the washout rate is so high that, you know, one out of, or, you know, eight out of 10 agents doesn't last a year. They hardly make any money, but the broker's getting rich, just almost running it like a sweatshop. Is that how it is in Canada?
1: Yeah, I think it's like that all around the world. Yeah. Um, And that's why I was getting demotivated when I first got my license. I I just, I didn't know um, what niche. So the thing with real estate is that there's so many different niches and there's so many different things that you can do from commercial to resale to resale residential uh, to pre-construction, property management. You need to find that niche that you want to focus on. It's very important, and I could do all of them, um, but I don't. I focus on the one that I'm good at, and that's that's the way I that's the way I look at it. Yeah, I can have I could send my leads to other people. So what I'll do is if I have somebody that wants to sell uh, a house, I don't normally do that. I'll I'll send a lead to somebody else, but I can also put it on my marketing, like from my social media and all that. Like I'll back it up, but that's not what I'm good at. And I know I'm not a good resale guy. I'm right now in my life. Cause of my age, I am a pre-construction guy and that's what I mastered. Uh, and uh, you know, it's, I enjoy doing it and it's not just about the money for me. Right. It's um, I, I want to enjoy what I do because I think when you're good at something, the money will just come.
0: Mm-hmm. So what, what um, you mentioned your social media, you know, you've got, uh, over 120,000 Instagram yeah. followers, uh, at least from what I saw when I looked you up, which was maybe a month ago, so maybe it's more now. Um, what What is your kind of main utility of social media in in your overall business? Is it to brand yourself? Is it to help move pro- properties? Is it to build an information authority-based uh, business? Like, what's what's the angle on social media?
1: Well, with me, it's like… With the buildings and all the projects that i sell and you know all the new pre-construction i need to be like a you know like a radio station like a you know um i need to have presence on social media in order to sell my projects that i work yeah. on so i also have like a digital party thing that i do on thursdays every thursday so i go live with a dj i do a bunch of giveaways um and the reason why i do this is because so, a lot of people are at home right now we're on lockdown and People want to, you know, exp- have they want to go out, right? So I'm giving that experience, bringing that experience to them at the comfort of their their home. Um, having channels to promote whatever it is you sell and whatever you do is very important. And that's that was my thing. I wanted to build that channel um, from Instagram to YouTube. Uh, you know, like uh, those are the two platforms that, uh, I, you know, I I've tried to, to build.
0: I'm looking, right. and the reason I'm looking down is because I'm looking at your Instagram yeah. right now.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, yeah. I mean, this is really interesting, and 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 I'm I'm seeing a pretty cool illustration here of how to creatively use social media in a way that differentiates or is non-conventional for your industry. Like I, you know, I've had a number of real estate yep. guys on, and and typically, if I'm having somebody on the show, that means they're really successful. So. Never mind the people that are less successful but I mean typically you look at a quote real estate guys instagram and they all kind of look the same. Yeah. Like, here's a tour of a property, here's a yes. deal I just sold, here's three tips you need to know on, you know, what to look for with an inspection or like it's it's mm-hmm. but yours you've got I mean I'm just scrolling you got tonight the best online DJ party in the world. Yep. Then you have Merry Christmas, join us for a digital party. Then you have a deal on uh, a cannabis deal backed by Jay Z. Yes, I don't know your involvement there, but you know. And now you've got you've got some giveaways. You're giving away PlayStations. Yep. Uh, what else have you got? Yeah, I so mean, I talk
1: I talk a lot about stocks as well. because yeah, Tesla. I, invest
0: a lot of, I see, be, but bullish yeah. or bearish on Tesla. Yeah, so that's that's cool. Go ahead, please tell me more about the strategy.
1: The strategy is that people don't want to be sold, like you know. Yeah. In real estate like if they see that you're trying too hard and this is a thing that i see a lot of real real estate agents do when they see that you're when people see you're trying too hard they they kind of get rather go to somebody else and with me it's like my social media presence it's about whatever i enjoy whatever i like doing you know and if i promote a project on it i have a better chance of getting leads that way it's worked for me so it's not about just buy 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 because people get tired of that they're like they're gonna go through your feed. They're gonna be like, this guy's just trying to sell him. Trying, he's trying to sell me stuff all the time, you know. Right. <laughs> so this is a way to bring more people to uh, my account. Um, again, the stuff that I'm talking about, it's stuff that I know, mm-hmm. and I'm fusing all of this and getting growing my my social channels.
0: Yeah. I was, you know, at the end of the interview, I was going to ask you how people should connect with you. And I'm assuming your Instagram is, is one of those channels, but I'm just going to preempt that. I'm going to jump ahead and say, guys, go follow Corrado, C-O-R-R-A-D-O. And we'll put that link in the description because this, uh, this is one of the most unique social profiles I've ever seen relative to the underlying business. Um, Thank you. Yeah. No, I mean, it's great. I, I totally take your point. I'm curious. So I noticed a fair amount of giveaways. I mean, you've got a hundred and uh, like I said, over a hundred thousand Instagram followers. Yep. That's pretty big for a, let's call it a local residential real estate guy, right? Um yes. and, and clearly, I mean, you used to play professional soccer and you've done a lot in the nightclub business, but that was pre Instagram, right? Yeah. Yep. So how have you grown a, a an Instagram presence this big from within your specific industry? Um, you have
1: to go big and do different things. It can't just be about like, like I can't, I can't just make videos about real estate. Right. I have to make videos about other things that I like. And um, again, my thing is always to give value to people. And that's, that's always been like any piece of content that I put out is always about giving value to people. So from the digital party, I want people to have a good time right now. I want them to have a good time. I want them to be happy. And it's funny When I did my second digital party, I had a guy that called me. He's like, Corrado, I really appreciate what you're doing. It actually put a smile on my face. You know, I've been at home for a while. I'm not going out. And he's like, I want to meet up with you. So this guy comes and we meet up. He comes to my office in a Lamborghini and he buys a condo from me. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You know, Um, I didn't know that was going to happen, you know, but, but any piece of content that I put out about stocks, I was telling people to buy Tesla was selling at 380 dollars dollars a share. And if you know I I personally went all in at that price point, yeah, and was able to look at Tesla today. Today it closed at around 850, I think. Yeah. Yeah, around 850, yeah, per share. Um, so yeah, like any piece of content. Uh, when I first started putting all this content on, on Instagram and YouTube, like I have to give value to people. And that's how your channel is going to grow, right?
0: Yeah. So how much of that, I mean, you obviously you said this one guy converted into a local deal. Do you feel like your channel is has reached outside of Toronto or is it, is it largely local still?
1: Out of Toronto. Uh, my YouTube presence, I have a lot of people from the U.S., to okay. watch my stuff. Actually, I was talking to somebody from Google, and he said to me that a lot of people that watch my stuff are coming from like Meet Kevin and Graham Stephan's uh, yeah, channel. Yeah. So he was able to check this all out because they have a different way of seeing the analytics and all that stuff. Um, yeah. And he's like, just keep doing what you're doing because your channel is growing pretty fast.
0: Is that somebody yeah. that you were able to get in touch with just through regular Google support? Yeah. Um, so because I run a lot of Google ads, yeah, I have an
1: account manager. And he was able to, uh, you know, okay. to just give me some
0: advice. Yeah, yeah that was my He's question because like, we have we have, we have have Google Ad Managers too, but obviously that's something that comes with spending money on the platform. Exactly, yeah, yeah. Um,
1: and another thing about spending money, um, if you want to grow your social channels, you know, they're designed to spend money like Facebook and Instagram. They want you to spend money to grow your account. So don't be afraid to do that, you yeah. know. And I spent a lot of money. Giveaways are is a good way to to build, a, you know, a social presence.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask you about that strategy. Um, could you, could, you could, frankly, I mean, this is selfish. I've considered it, and I'm like, do I really want freebie seekers on my profile? Mm-hmm. Personally, I would never want to be given something that I won because, yeah, I just it just feels, I don't know, weird to me. Bad energy. Like I'd rather earn what I get. But. Yep. Uh, Maybe there's other, maybe that, maybe that is a good audience to attract. What's your, so
1: yeah, the reason why I do it is because the digital party episode needs some sort of engagement and we're on for like two hours. So when we're doing giveaways, people love it. It's engaging. They're like, Oh, I want, you know, we even do email transfers. Uh, So part of the people that, that actually um, enter the contest, we put them all into like a draw and, and we select random people and we even send them money too. But it's engaging. It's a lot of fun. Okay. And part of that, and what, I, what I've been doing is I've been helping out businesses locally that want to promote um, their product, their company, if it's an Instagram account. And what we do is we'll, you know, we'll, we'll spo- you could sponsor the show. We don't want any money from it. All the money goes into prizes. So we're like, buy us an Xbox and we'll give it away. Buy us a PlayStation and we'll give it away to people. So they're helping out their business that way. We're growing the the platform. We're getting a lot of people that just are coming in for, you know, to win a prize. But they're like, we're enjoying this. This is a lot of fun.
0: Hmm. So. Yeah, I I totally get what you're saying. That It all complements each other. Yeah, it's not just, hey, follow me on Instagram and you might win an Xbox. It's more, hey, come get involved in this thing that I'm doing that creates energy for my business. And part of the experience is that you might win an Xbox. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, well, man, this has been super insightful. I feel like we've navigated through a couple different things. We talked about the, the franchise landmine. We talked about how, to, how the entertainment business works, which I, I just got paid, you know, chump change as a musician to play the gigs. I didn't know who was making the real money. Um, we talked about real estate. We talked about social media. This has been pretty darn fun. Uh, and Unfortunately, we're, yeah, we've got two minutes. Let's, let's make sure, I want to make sure that you have an opportunity to share with the audience? Uh, I already mentioned your Instagram, but like wh- how can mm-hmm. they come get connected with you, learn more about you? And hey, if they're in the market for Toronto real estate, how can they do business with you? Yeah, the best way to connect with me is
1: uh, on Instagram, mm-hmm. right? So my is at Corrado, that's the best way to connect with me. Um, I just want to leave a quick message for everybody, um, especially if you're in your twenties. Um, I-, I would say, you know, when you're in your twenties, go all in, mm-hmm. try to invest your money in real estate, stocks, whatever it is, and it'll set you up for your 30s. And that's, that's what helped me out. Um, I just want to share that message with people yeah. because, you know, it, it'll change your life. Don't be afraid to invest in, uh, you know, into, into real estate and assets.
0: You know, I saw, I saw uh, I'm saw i doing some research for a course I'm putting together, and I'm, you know, curating a bunch of other videos and trainings and stuff. And I watched a video yesterday from Dave Ramsey. He's an American guy. Mm-hmm. You know who Dave I know is? him, yeah. 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 So. And it, it had two side-by-side case studies. One was a guy, I think he was 21 years old, who put, you know, something. I think he put 2000 no, maybe it was $500 a month into a savings account every month for six years. So from the time he was 21 to 27. And then he stopped. And he never put another dollar mm-hmm. in. And then it was like his, quote, brother, who, saw, who goes, oh, my brother is you know, doing so good at savings. You know what? I should do that. And he started at 27. And he put the same amount of money in every month, literally until he was 65. So the brother put in money for six years starting at 21. The other brother started at 27 and put in money all the way to 65. And it was based on like a 7% a year return or something.
1: I think I think I know this story. You yeah, who, like um, the story. Yeah, and who the twenty one like a Vanguard
0: S and P five hundred. Yeah, yeah, and the guy that started yeah. at twenty one and only saved for six years mm-hmm. had more money than the other guy who saved for thirty eight years because Loved simply it. because he started six years earlier. Yep. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that story.
1: And I wanted to say a story like that. Tony Robbins had a story like that yeah. as well. It's true. It's, it's great, and I yeah, wish I true. knew this. I, I wish I knew about the stock stuff when I was younger. I did more real estate. That's how I made a lot of my money. Um, but uh, but yeah, you know, just investing your money is is very important. Um, you know, it'll change even your small, life. Even small
0: older. amounts. Like a lot of young people yeah. think, oh, I don't make enough money to meaningfully invest. But what you may lack in money, you you have in time. Yeah, I got. You know, I I didn't even become a business person. I didn't make enough money to save two dollars until I was 29 years old. Mm-hmm. So I've been playing catch up ever since. Whereas if, you know, some 18 year old literally start by putting away a hundred dollars a month. Yes. You'll be retired. Hey, you in know 25. what?
1: It's, <laughs> it's never too late. So even if you're in your thirties or forties or fifties or sixties, it's never too late. The example with Tesla yeah. at $400 a share, you would have like Tesla made millionaires. Yeah. Or even at $400 a share, you know, you would have bought there kept it. Eventually, I personally think in the next 5-10 years, it will be, it'll be trading at 4000 a share.
0: Yeah. I mean, I know people that bought Bitcoin at $40. Yeah. And I didn't start buying it until over $10,000. Yeah. Yeah. But now it's at thirty five. You just finished this episode of the Millionaire Secrets Podcast. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please like and share this episode and do leave us a review. Let us know how we impacted you today. Your next step toward creating your awesome life is to join me and thousands of others in the Entra Nation community where you'll receive free training, networking with other awesome life seekers, access to live events, discounts, merchandise, and other awesome perks. Head over to www.EntraNation.com. That is www.entrenation.com and join us today. And of course, do please follow me on social media. I can be found on all the major social networks at Jeff Lerner Official. Thank you again for listening and please go be awesome.